All right, welcome back to another great episode of Dan on Top. I'm your host, Dan Lukowitz, and today we have the honor and the pleasure of Jordan Metz, the senior vice president of Vassell Realty Corp and Metz Industrial Team to join us. Jordan, how are you doing? Dan, doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we could finally get it on the calendar. Absolute pleasure. Listen, I've been chasing some celebrities to get them on the show, and in the next couple of weeks, we got some big names. Not going to say any names, but we got somebody from Million Dollar Listing joining us. I've been chasing you, too. You're a little bit of a celebrity, so thanks for joining us. You know, it's it's indicative of uh, what's going on in the markets today. It's, it's not by choice. I'd love to be doing more of this. It's uh, we, uh, We're we beckoning and calling to our clients 24-7, and, and the needs and the demands that we're servicing are just nonstop these days. Yeah, it is absolutely incredible. And just like a good deal, you got to chase a good guest. I'm glad we finally got you. So look, we got 18 minutes. We're going to jam-pack this episode. You are an expert in the industrial space, which is something I'm very passionate about. Before we get into that, though, Jordan, I want to throw you off a little bit. I want to ask you about who you are. So tell our viewers, who is Jordan Metz? Who's Jordan Metz? Jordan Metz is a guy that grew up in Livingston, New Jersey. Uh, He worked hard in school. He planned to go to law school. Uh, He decided that he didn't want to go straight back to the books after college. He stumbled into the industrial real estate industry. And 17 years later, here we are. Uh, I'm guided by the team I put together around me, the camaraderie we have, the passion for the deals, the juices that are flowing from start to finish when we're involved in in transactions A to Z. So, so I think that's kind of a microcosm of who I am. I, I enjoy what I do. Uh, I've got a wife, married last year. Congratulations. Uh, nice dogs. We live in Hoboken, New Jersey. And, you know, uh, my life is my work these days, uh, which I hope to kind of get a little more balanced. But I'm an industrial real guy, real estate guy through and through. It's what I've known for 17 years. It's what I've done, and, and it really, truly is a passion. Awesome. So let's talk industrial. 17 years. Now, the industrial space that we have today was nothing like the industrial mm-hmm. space that we had five years ago, 10 years ago, and certainly not 17 years ago. Talk to us a little bit about the significant changes that you've personally seen in the industrial space over the last 17 years. I mean, that's a loaded question. I'll try to give you as as quick an answer and and just try to wrap it up as succinctly as I can. I think when I came into the business in 2004, number one, institutional investors didn't exist. Cap rate deals didn't even know what a cap rate was. So it was largely driven by owners, users. It was a lot of transactional. When I came into the business, um, you know, coming in with a small boutique firm, I didn't have the presence to go grab monster listings. So we would focus on some low-hanging fruit. I focus on buyer, tenant, rep. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of put me in a position through the years to rack up you know, 20, 30, 40 deals a year. And fast forward 10 years when the institutional capital started coming into our markets, which was about five or six years ago, that's when I say the floodgates opened and our entire industry changed. Our buildings became more commoditized. Um, our ownership structure became more consolidated. And there became a real push on cap rates, valuations, and how that all translated to the incredible rise in rates and and values that we're seeing today. Um, We're seeing the industry, though, uh, where about eight, nine years ago, the word e-commerce, last mile, final mile, these terms were being thrown around, and and very few people even knew what they meant. Today, their nomenclature that's that's been adopted to the the mainstream, we see it on the news, we see it in news programs. Um, So it's not just people in the know that talk these terms, but but that became you know, a much bigger push where 10 years ago, you'd order something online, right? 
you'd have a five to seven day delivery time frame. You'd pay for delivery. There was no such thing as free returns, free shipping, none of that. Amazon came into our world. They changed the entire dynamic of our consumer experience where we became less patient. We want our deliveries in one to two days. And the infrastructure that companies like Amazon and then the trickle down from there that the effect that it's had, the infrastructure that they've had to build out to support the consumer behaviors that we all know now as our normal, um, it, it's just led to what you see where we hover sub 2% vacancy rates, where rates are at all time high and they're climbing and tenants are paying it and we can't keep up with demand and, 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 and new deliveries are being absorbed by the time they're being finished being built, right? So, so what you've seen is just a total change in the consumer economy. Um, we rely on imports. All of these goods come from ports. They touch warehouses and then they show up at our doorsteps in one fashion or another in one to two day delivery times. We've got companies that have to have facilities for reverse logistics, right? Just for the returns and sure. shipping uh, that has become normal these days. So, so whereas 10 years ago, 15 years ago, this none of this existed. We were dealing with a whole different set of tenants and occupiers and businesses that that led our market. And that's why back then we had double digit vacancy rates and much higher vacancy rates in those 2008 recessionary years. But these days, the demand for warehouse space has just become so prominent that it touches every aspect of every consumer uh, economy point metric in, in, in what we're living through. And so the demand has just you know driven supply incredibly low. Uh, institutional capital then followed in. Industrial has become a safe, a stable asset class with future upside so it's just become an entire different dynamic it's it's an entirely different industry and and uh that's the best i could do to sum up you know 15 years and and the last six or seven markedly in in a short answer like that yeah and that's a great answer what i think is fascinating jordan is that you look at the impact that e-commerce has had on the industrial space and it's it's mind-boggling but if you were to ask the average american what percentage of of the retail space e-commerce holds, they probably tell you 60, 70, 80%. But when you look at the actual numbers, it's, it's in the teens, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so this was a question before the pandemic that I always posed to tenants, to buyers, to anybody that asked me, will this, will these rates continue to rise? It seems kind of crazy. You know, will this sustain itself? I would ask them the question, well, well, understanding that e-commerce is really what's driving the industrial markets and demand for warehousing, uh, what do you think the 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 percentage of of retail that's done online is as a function of total total retail sales in the country? People that that ran businesses, logistics businesses in some cases, but your average person would answer that question seventy percent, ninety percent because because they order everything here yeah. on their computer, and everybody they know does the same thing. Coming into the pandemic, that number was just about 13 percent. Yeah. It was growing at a at a couple or a few percent per year which is mind-boggling. So we're, we're really at the tip of the iceberg for something that continues to adopt. Now, in March and April last year, when the pandemic did hit, our phone stopped ringing. It was a ghost town. We were talking to our institutional uh, developers, investment groups, and they were looking for discounts on any deals that we were, they were planning on staying in. Uh, they were saying no more spec development for all of 2020. Uh, by you know May, which was you know 60 days after the pandemic hit us it kind of all came to a realization that actually this was going to be a boom yeah. for industrial right that that this is just going to cause that shift to to become more prominent and the stat coming out of the pandemic in about the first 10 months of the pandemic we saw just about 10 years of e-commerce adoption wow. where my mom 
my grandmother, right? Everybody <laughs> and anybody now that didn't understand and didn't get comfortable with Amazon and all the rest um, had to. And now they've adopted yeah. and, and they see the convenience. So they're not going to go back to the supermarket to get their paper towels and their cleaning supplies and maybe not their groceries either. And and for every other product we use, you know, they're, they're probably going to stick to online for a lot of that as well. So, Absolutely. So we're seeing an incredible impact, you know, as a result of the pandemic, which which is the one positive thing, I guess you could say, that came out of that as it pertains to our to our industry and our business. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's incredible is that if that number is only 12, 13, 14% now and it's having such a drastic impact in the industrial space, imagine what will happen when that number gets to 20%, 22%, yeah, so, 25%. So, so, so let me just so so through the pandemic that number has now reached it's it's just about 20%. I have to check the most recent metrics, but it has jumped significantly and again, we've seen that 10 years of e-commerce adoption all take place in these last 10 or 12 months. So so it's there, but it's growing. And and I don't have the stats in front of me or, or off top of head as far as what the projections are for e-commerce growth and and uh, and all that going forward. But but it's significant. Yeah. And, and you know, being just in the high teens or twenty right now, it's it's got incredible room to grow. Absolutely. So Jordan, talk to us about some of the nuances and maybe some of the differences between traditional, let's say, net lease brokerage outside of the industrial space versus industrial investments. I'm sorry. Say that again, Dan. I apologize. I want I want you because you're a specialist in this. You know, one narrow, narrow focus of an already narrow mm-hmm. focus. I want you to talk to us about some of the nuances and the differences between you know traditional net lease investing, like people like us do or like I do, and and the in industrial space specifically. If you're talking about the capital chasing the deals. Everything, just certain the factors that an investor is going to look at, you know, cap rates in general, how, you know, tenants, just just give me, take that and run with well, it however well, you'd like. So, so, as an example, I mean, I'm not sure if this completely answers the question that you're asking, but oftentimes we run by the seat of our pants these days in the sense that when there's an opportunity for an asset that we know there's an appetite for on the buying side, um, it doesn't always go through an entire marketing process. It doesn't always have that kind of time to operate. Sometimes it's a feeding frenzy. It's an off-market deal. And those deals are, are, are more common these days than on-market deals. And what I would say there is that cap rates in general, they're just in a state of cap rate compression, right? Mm-hmm. Where developers are underwriting developments right now with exit cap rates, you know, well sub 4%. Three and a half percent, three point seven five. So we're we're in an environment where there's enough capital chasing it, and because it's that allocation in their investment fund that just has to go into the industrial and it has to check all the boxes as far as location, geography, specs, and all the rest. Um, cap rates are being beaten down, and and we're even surprised at how aggressive uh, some of these deals get. Where we might project something in that four percent range, and because we've got three or four people that are at the finish line bidding each other out to win the deal, we'll see that compression even further. So, so from that standpoint, um, you know, there, there's high valuations uh, as, as a result. Uh, on the tenant side, I think that we all kind of feel comfortable at this point, whether it's a lease, whether it's a sale, that if we're bringing something to market, um, number one, the, the lead time to, to landing that deal is shorter than ever. Yeah. And the options and the, the, the offers are going to be there. In other words, we're not really worried about leasing the space. We're more concerned about just optimizing the terms and not grabbing something too quickly when maybe a better credit tenant might come in or someone that might have a, a better better terms on the deal. So 
So overall, there's just a very positive bullish outlook. And when we're on the side of the listing of the deal where we have the exclusive on a sale release, we feel really comfortable these days. Um, and not to neglect the owners and users and, and the clients that we've worked with for 10 or 15 years on their warehouses, but the institutional capital that that is outperforming these groups and winning these deals is doing so because they're able to get aggressive. <clears throat> it's all cash funds. It's 30 day due diligence written on the offers. It's closings 10, 15 days later. So a seller kind of has that certainty and, and, and expediency of the deal uh, where the average investor can't really compete. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an, an interesting space today. And, and you know, that kind of brings me to my next question, Jordan. What types of things exist today in our industry that didn't exist when you started 15 or 17 years ago? What we're doing now, for example, <laughs> um, right? A podcast. I mean, having even access to multiple listing service, our version of that, which is CoStar, the commercial database, other databases, having access to that on our phones, on our laptops. Uh, when I got into the business, you know, I remember my dad was in, in, in uh, he was an attorney, he was in real estate, and, and my grandfather was a small time builder. And, and I, you know, was talking to all the brokers that were maybe my parents' age when I got into the business. And I would just marvel at how did you guys even manage to do this when you couldn't email a lease or email a contract? Like you had to actually facsimile, yeah. right? send a fax with 30 pages, or you had to have a courier go deliver, you know, a set of redlined changes to another attorney. Like that pace yeah. seems, you know, I don't know how you would do that. These days, the technology that we have, I can't even start to go down the list because apps didn't exist. Apps yeah. were not a word when I started in the industry, right? So so we relied more heavily on things like signage, on on uh, you know, our own mailing lists, our databases, the emails. You know, it, it it was it was a very different set of tools that we had in our toolbox then. I remember when I started out, <laughs> um, I would put ads for warehouses on Craigslist, on the commercial section of Craigslist. When I was in my first couple of years, I'll be honest, I hope I didn't get in trouble for this. There's got to be a statute of limits. I would just make things up. I would literally post maybe 15,000 square feet available in Linden, New Jersey with two loading docks and, and uh, you know 20-foot ceilings. And I knew stuff was out there, but it wasn't my listing. There was no address. It wasn't any specific building. It was designed so that I would get the calls and the inquiries from the tenants looking because what I did recognize at that time is that the first place people do go when they're searching for their real estate, right? Like anything else we search for these days is Google or is, yeah. is their computer. So back then, this was all newer. The first iPhone came out in 2007, I think it was. I was three years into the industry then, right? Wow. So, so I remember putting ads on Craigslist to get leads, right? I would then go and take them. And at that time, we had inventory. I would take a company. We'd have two or three days to spend looking at 15 or 20 buildings right in a, in a 10 or 15 mile geographic radius where these days we might have you know three or four buildings uh as being the options in that same geographic radius so just all the technology all the tools we have these days it's it's a whole different world it's night and day uh i think you know it, it's it's helped us you know in in many ways it, it, be, it it's also increased the pace at which we do things yeah. it makes us uh, multitask more it forces us like myself i've built out a team over the last these last few years um, where we have to have, you know, a, a more of a, a manpower and, and just more people servicing the business because we are able now to get text messages all day long. We're able to get emails all day long. We're able to get WhatsApp messages. And so it doesn't stop. So, so like anything, technology is both a blessing and a curse. We, we try to look at the bright side and, and look at all the ways that it helps us um, from A to C. But, but none of it existed when I started. We had email and, and uh, that was about it. 
And where, Jordan, would you say that the industrial market is headed? <clears throat> so if you look at reports over the next five years um, in the 30 or so national markets around the country, I think the average rental rate increases is right around high 20s to 30%. Jersey, yeah. I think it's right around 32 33%. So that's, you know, a 5 to 7% clip annually, which is which is not an insignificant no amount of growth, you know, a lot of the leases, you know, traditionally have 3% annual increases, you know, that's now a hedge against market rates increasing even more, where tenants are locking in 10 or 15 year lease, because they don't want to deal with this, what they're dealing with now. So, so going back to what we were talking about earlier, e commerce, we're not going to stop shopping on our phones any less, it's going to continue even more, there's going to be um, more e commerce adoption, that's going to lead to to more uh, need for warehouse, more need for logistics, more need for trucking fleets. Um, so we don't see industrial slowing down. If there's any economic headwinds coming at us, I think the tailwinds of the e-commerce explosion of all these things coming out of the pandemic, uh, I think those are enough to carry us forward where just the demand for warehouse space is not going to let up. And based on that, uh, I think we can take, you know, some other economic factors that that could very well, you know, present themselves over the next few years. Yeah, it's super exciting. Listen, Jordan, it's hard to believe, but we're already at the end of our slot here, man. You jam-packed this episode with so much value. I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today on the show. Dan, it was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I hope to do it again sometime. Uh, thank you very much. I, I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, hey, I'm Dan Lukowitz, your host. This has been another great episode of Dan on Top. We'll see you soon.